Tonight on Global News Hour, two people killed in a collision in South Surrey, a driver under investigation for speeding and driving under the influence. Plus. 619 people uh, died during that week in 2021. Two years after the deadly heat dome in BC and the demands for more action to put an end to heat-related deaths, and then. The idea behind this was to bring that public voice to the forefront. Getting feedback from ordinary British Columbians on how to improve the country's healthcare system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good afternoon and thanks for joining us. We begin with a tragedy on the roads in South Surrey this weekend. Two people killed in an early morning crash and police are looking at both impairment and speed as possible factors. Travis Prasad joins us now with more. And Travis, what happened? Julie, two cars were involved, both of them traveling in the same direction at the time of the crash. Two people are dead, another is badly hurt. Here's a look at the scene shortly after it happened. You can see police and plenty of first responders were on scene at 176th Street just north of 32nd Avenue. Surrey RCMP say the driver of a Volkswagen Golf was traveling north on 176th when the car crashed into a Hyundai sedan that was also northbound. Both cars veered off the road and into a water-filled ditch. This morning, investigators laid evidence markers along the tire marks showing the path both vehicles took off the road and into the ditch. Police say a driver and three passengers were inside the Hyundai. Two of the occupants are dead. One more is in critical condition. The fourth person has non-life-threatening injuries. Police detained the driver of the Volkswagen. No one else was inside that vehicle. Investigators say it looks like speed and alcohol may have been factors. The Hyundai does have an Uber logo on the windshield. We are working to confirm whether the driver was an Uber operator and if they were on duty at the time of the crash. So again, this happened around 2.45 this morning. If anyone out there has dash cam video from that time in the area of 176th Street and 32nd Avenue, get in touch with Surrey RCMP as this investigation into the deadly crash is still ongoing. Julie. Thanks for this, Travis. This weekend marks two years since a heat dome hit B.C., claiming the lives of more than 600 people. A coroner's report has since issued numerous recommendations to try to alleviate the problem. But as Kamal Karamali reports, activists say several key demands still have yet to be fulfilled, especially when it comes to protecting the lives of those most at risk. 619 cubes for the 619 heat-related deaths during 2021's heat dome, placed carefully along the steps of the Vancouver Art Gallery, each one with a message. People are putting basic messages, staying cool is a human right. A coroner's report found two-thirds of the victims who died from June 25th to July 1st were over the age of 70. More than half died alone, and almost all occurred indoors. Just to be alive and breathing every day. Thank you. Stay and gather. This vigil marking the two-year anniversary of the beginning of the heat dome. These people who passed away were our brothers, our sisters, our children, our elders. They didn't deserve to die. Many passing by on this hot summer's day, remembering the sweltering heat. Seniors like Nathan Davidovich feeling lucky they weren't one of the victims. I went to the library because they have air conditioning there. 
The vigil also making demands on the government to prevent this tragedy from happening again. Funding portable air conditioners, 24-hour cooling centers with free transit to the locations, and setting a max temperature for indoor settings. A tenant has to be able to keep the temperature at 23 or lower. So if you can't, in, the entire building should be retrofit or built to code so that uh, the units can be cooled in an efficient way. A report published by the BC Coroner Service more than a year ago recommends changes to the province's building codes to include active and passive cooling to all new and existing developments by 2024. That heat Sunday, a firm reminder of how badly these measures are needed. The heat dome is going to come back. It's not just once in a, a hundred years. The province says it's conducting a review into handing out cooling devices as medical equipment, a review set to be complete by the end of this month, with no word if there are plans for a temperature limit or all-day cooling centers. Kamil Karamali, Global News. One week since the fatal shooting of a Surrey Gurdwara president, Hardeep Singh Nijjar was cremated today. Large crowds returning to the Guru Nanak Sikh Gurdwara for a public viewing before a long to the funeral service. Last Sunday night, Nijjar was shot and killed in the parking lot of the Gurdwara. Police are still looking for suspects and believe it was a targeted attack, but said it was too early to know a motive for the killing. On Saturday, hundreds rallied outside the Consulate General of India office in Vancouver, decrying foreign interference as a possible cause of Niger's death. It's been more than two decades this week since a young Indigenous Vancouver Island woman disappeared. As her family marks another somber anniversary, RCMP say they're constantly looking for new leads to bring home Lisa Marie Young and finally get justice. Kristen Robinson reports. It leaves a big hole in her heart to not know where she is. 21 years after 21-year-old Lisa Marie Young vanished from Nanaimo, her family and friends gather outside the local RCMP detachment. Every day that we've, we've gone without knowing the whereabouts of Lisa Marie does matter and that our family does hurt. It's been really hard. With the community behind them, the group of more than 100 marching to Mafeo Sutton Park in what has become an annual walk for justice. It's been a long time, but it seems like only... Like the years have just seemed like yesterday. Young has not been seen since leaving a house party in the early morning hours of June 30th, 2002. Her friends say she left with a man in a burgundy Jaguar. The same man drove Young and her friends to the party. He is among the hundreds of people interviewed by police in the unsolved case. Corporal Dean Muir, who grew up in Nanaimo, is now posted here with his five-year-old German shepherd, Luca, who specializes in human remains detection. I'm a very small part of this investigation, but I'm, I'm hoping to be a, you know, a, a part that will help bring some closure, help bring Lisa home and help advance a, a, a criminal case against the person or persons responsible. Nanaimo RCMP believe Young met with foul play. Her homicide investigation, a priority for the serious crime unit. Investigators have conducted numerous searches and received hundreds of tips but say it's never too late to come forward. There's going to be somebody out there that knows something that, you know, is either afraid to come and talk to us or doesn't want to talk to us right now, but those circumstances might change. 
After more than two decades, the family desperate for closure. Young's mother, Joanne, who fought tirelessly to keep her daughter's disappearance in the public eye and never gave up searching, died in 2017 without any answers. It's really hard to know that she's gone to the spirit world and never knowing what happened to her daughter on this earth. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The votes are in, and no surprise, the B.C. NDP candidates swept the two by-elections that were held yesterday in ridings that are considered NDP strongholds. The NDP's Joan Phillip will succeed Melly Mark as the MLA in the riding of Vancouver Mount Pleasant. Phillip winning with just over 67% of the vote. Jackie Lee with the B.C. United Party coming in second with a little over 13% of the vote. That's followed by Wendy Hako of the B.C. Green Party with nearly 11.5% of the ballots cast. Karen Litsky of the Conservative Party was fourth with nearly 5% of the vote. And on Vancouver Island, Ravi Parmar becomes the MLA in Langford, Juan de Fuca, a seat vacated by former Premier John Horgan. Parmar gained 53% of the vote. He was followed by Mike Harris of the Conservative Party with 19.8% of the ballots. Camille Curry was close behind with 17.6% of the vote. And Elena Lawson of the BC United came in fourth with 8.6% of the vote. For a closer look at those results, here's Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. And Keith, what do you see with those second, third, and fourth place results? Yeah, that's the story of the by-elections, Julie. As we mentioned off the top, no surprise the NDP won these two ridings. These are historically two of the strongest NDP ridings from election to election uh, in the entire province. But there are some takeaways here I think that could, are very interesting. First of all, it's clear the BC United brand, the, the name of the party, has yet to resonate with voters. No surprise there. It's only been around for a few months. But keep in mind, it's the first fourth place finish by either the BC United or the precursor, BC Liberals, in more than 35 years. That's kind of astonishing. The B.C. Green vote continues to be stuck in neutral. And the big takeaway, as you mentioned, the Conservative candidate in Langford, Juan de Fuca, got 20% of the vote. That shows this party could have an impact, a big impact, on the 2024 election result. Most, if not all, of their votes are coming from B.C. United, or their precursor, B.C. Liberals. And we're going to hear from the two winning candidates now. Meet your two new B.C. MLAs here in Victoria. I talked about the, uh, the record that Kevin Falcon had here in this community, the fact that he didn't invest a dime when he was in charge, the fact that he was part of a government that uh, laid off workers and uh, you know, privatized health care. And so I think that message resonated and it certainly showed in the results. This constituency, I, I love it because it's uh, very diverse. We have a large uh, Vietnamese community, a Chinese community, uh, working class Canadians and Indigenous community, so uh, we got a lot of work to do, and uh, I really look forward to getting in there and slugging it out. So again, the results, no surprise at all, but it also shows the opposition parties have a lot of work to do between now and the next election, October 2024. The BC United has to get its brand out there and resonate with voters, and BC Greens have to find a, a way to punch through a level of support. It around for about five or six years now and both parties I think now as, as a result of what we saw in line for Juan de Fuca have to be concerned about this new party the BC Conservatives nipping at both their heels. Yes a lot of work to be done for sure thanks so much Keith. All right.
Vancouver's controversial downtown east side market has been shut down for two weeks due to safety concerns. The Binners Project, which operates the market on East Hastings, says an assault occurred on June 12th, which was reported to police. No one was seriously hurt. The operator says the city then asked them to shut down the market until they can hire security. The market is now set to reopen Friday. The Binners Project is also planning other measures for de-escalation and dealing with the sale of stolen property. The city's lease with BC Housing for the market site expires at the end of August. Back in March, the city withdrew its development application to, to demolish a heritage building to create a temporary home for the market. Protesters in downtown Vancouver say they're growing frustrated at delays in securing permanent resident status for undocumented people. Demonstrators say the undocumented migrants have been shut out of schools, denied health care, separated from their families and faced detention and deportation. They add the prime minister made a promise 550 days ago to come up with a way for migrant workers to obtain resident status. But they say parliament has been adjourned for the summer without any action. I am so frustrated and angry. It's because I'm working in this issue since I arrived here. I was here since 1991 as a domestic worker. Since then, we've been calling landed status now. And until now, there's nothing happening. Government and other people and community, pe community members are saying we are essentials, but they're not doing anything as we are saving the lives of Canadians. There are as many as a half a million people without official standing in Canada. There's not yet a response from the federal immigration minister's office on the issue. Coming up on Global News Hour, improving the healthcare system. We'll tell you about an initiative to incorporate feedback from ordinary Canadians to make important changes for the future. And decision day for a controversial condo proposal in Vancouver's Chinatown. Stay with us. Canadians have had plenty to say about the problems plaguing our healthcare system, whether that's struggling to find a family physician or getting emergency care in their smaller, more rural community. For the past several months, a group of average British Columbians has had that opportunity, all in hopes of finding solutions to what ails us. Grace Key reports. Together, we're gravely concerned for the state of our primary care systems. It's a chance for everyday Canadians to have their say on the future of primary care, as more people find it difficult to get a family doctor. People are, are really concerned, for example, about equity. Equity is a foundational value. Um, they're very supportive of team-based care. Um, they all want access to their health records and they want their different health records that may be in the hospital or different family doctor's offices to connect with each other and speak together. Our Care is a Canada-wide project. More than 9,000 people took part in an online survey asking everything from the importance of having a relationship with the family doctor to questions on team-based and virtual care and access to health records. Hannah Wilson is a panelist with multiple chronic illnesses. I found that the referral process is quite um, long and there's little to no continuous care. Uh, so you quite often 
uh, don't have very much continuity and follow-up from different care providers. In BC, 31 randomly selected people took part in a regional priorities panel. Over three months, they met virtually to learn more about primary care, discuss what was important to people, and make a series of recommendations. Those include expand community health centers, have primary care service teams and catchments similar to schools, make sure medical data is shared between all health care providers, invest in things like team-based primary care, public education around primary care systems and preventative care, and virtual care, and have a primary care charter bill of rights for patients. Training more doctors and nurse practitioners is also part of the solution, but that alone isn't the answer. Every province we've been in so far is actually around team-based care because people recognize that Teams, you know, working with uh, teams working together can provide better care to a group of patients, but it also actually can extend the capacity of family doctors and nurse practitioners to see more people. The final report will be coming out in the fall. It'll be presented to those in the primary care field and policymakers. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver's Development Permit Board is expected to either approve or deny a controversial condo proposal in Chinatown on Monday after the decision was delayed at two previous hearings. BD's proposed nine-story, 111-unit building at 105 Kiefer Street with ground-level retail and a senior center was rejected by the city for a fifth time in 2017. Last December, a B.C. Supreme Court decision ordered the city to reconsider it. Seven Chinatown legacy organizations once divided over the project are now united in their support for it, saying new development and residents will help revitalize the area. Opponents believe the building's design does not fit with the site, which overlooks Chinatown's Memorial Plaza, where Chinese veterans and railway workers are recognized. Why would you let typical Vancouver condo be built in the heart of the Chinatown Memorial Square. That is a very sensitive area. The height of the building that is towering over the monument of the Chinatown Memorial Square, showing no respect to the struggling early settler of the Chinese people. Our members and the thousands of individuals represented in all facets of development and building are concerned that if this project does not proceed, it has the potential to undermine the integrity and reliability of the city's planning regime, not only in Chinatown, but across the city. This project was denied at the board back in 2017, despite being explicitly zoning compliant. Since that time, we have seen very little investment in Chinatown. After hearing from close to 150 speakers during two days of hearings, the board is expected to make its decision Monday afternoon. Abbotsford police slapped a driver with multiple tickets during a heavy traffic stop last Saturday. This minivan with a broken back window and a towing a trailer was stopped on Clearbrook Road. Both vehicles were stacked with garbage bags. Police say the vehicle was operating 2,200 kilograms overweight with an improper hitch and inadequate breakaway chains. Serious safety concerns. The trailer was towed and its driver ordered to have it inspected by an approved mechanic and made roadworthy before being released. Police say the van was also deemed unroadworthy and towed to the owner's property. Coming up on Global News Hour, what does it all mean for Ukraine? A closer look at the Wagner's, Wagner Group's mutiny in Russia and its detrimental effects on Vladimir Putin. Plus.
More on the Titan submersible tragedy and who else is launching an investigation when we come back. Life in the Russian city of Rostov-on-Don is returning to normal after yesterday's remarkable events. The Wagner Group's soldiers took control there and were headed toward Moscow, but then ordered back. The leader of the mercenary group is now in exile, but there could still be a huge impact on Vladimir Putin and the war on Ukraine. Redmond Shannon reports. The railings remain up around the Kremlin, but life in Moscow was closer to normal Sunday. It was really uneasy yesterday, says this man, but everyone's back outside now and let's hope it will be peacefully resolved. Wagner Group mercenary troops had been advancing toward Moscow Saturday until their leader Yevgeny Prigozhin called them back telling them to also leave the city of Rostov-on-Don, which they had controlled for 24 hours. Many residents lauded Prigozhin as he left for exile in Belarus, part of the deal brokered by Belarusian leader Alexander Lukashenko. The failures of Russia's war in Ukraine are reverberating increasingly within Russia itself. Prigozhin's sudden decision to call off his rebellion may have come after he realized his march toward Moscow would fail. And neither he nor Putin had much to gain from seeing Russians kill Russians. I think for Putin right now, it's a matter of trying to calm the situation. It won't have been easy for Putin to let Prigozhin go free. Putin may have instead calculated that Wagner's ongoing missions on behalf of Russia needed to be managed. Those who are in Africa and Syria will need a leader and um, the problem would be to find a credible leader, somebody to replace Prigozhin and somebody to whom these people will listen. If this unprecedented challenge to Putin has weakened his authority, his next move will likely aim to reverse that perception, particularly among the Russian public. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. The U.S. Coast Guard announced its plans to investigate the catastrophic implosion of a tourist submersible that killed all people, five people on board last week during a trip to the Titanic. It has opened a Marine Board investigation, the highest level probe the Coast Guard conducts with the goal of preventing another tragedy. The NBI is currently in its initial evidence collection phase, including debris salvage, salvage operations at the incident site, and evidence collection in coordination with Canadian authorities in the port of St. John's, Newfoundland. The debris site is on the seabed less than 500 meters from the bow, bow rather, of the Titanic wreck and four kilometers below the surface. A final report will be issued to help improve international safety standards for submersibles. Still to come on the news hour, solidifying their place in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. Love them or hate them, Nickelback has forged its spot in Canadian music history. More on a ceremony today when we come back. Thousands taking part in the annual World Partnership Walk this morning in Vancouver Stanley Park. <laughs> From providing clean drinking water to establishing education programs for women, the 39th annual event raises money to help fight global poverty. Over the years, the walk has raised more than $135 million across the country. The walk happening in 10 cities across Canada.
So the foundation's work carries on throughout the year. But this is one of the vehicles for fundraising. And the funds that are raised, they are used to help eliminate global poverty in Asia, in Africa, to provide clean water, education, health services, and to make a better community for the people in need. The 25th annual Vancouver Half Marathon got underway this morning with more than 400 participants. Two, one, go! It's described as one of the world's most scenic marathons. The route takes runners through UBC, Spanish Banks, and Kitsilano. Runners came from across Canada, along with 15 different U.S. states and 28 international countries. The half marathon was followed by a new 5K race and a kids race. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here now, and not a bad day for a half marathon. No, it's nice. It's a little bit cooler in the morning, so that's great. Yep. And then it warms up, and they can celebrate on a patio after. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Julie. Good evening, everyone. It's nice and dry out there, but depending on where you are across Metro Vancouver, there's a slight blip, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. We're currently sitting at 20 degrees. We've got a bit more cloud cover report out of the airport and a southwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. It was warm, a few spots in towards the interior to highlight. Lytton today getting up to 25, 26 for Cranbrook, and areas near Fort Nelson climbing up to 25 degrees. Now, here's the instability. We may still see it, especially along the mountains, a slight risk of a thunderstorm for the early evening hours. It'll dissipate and then it'll rebound with plenty of sunshine on deck for tomorrow. We still have a severe thunderstorm watch that remains in effect. A few lightning strikes are still showing up on the satellite and radar here. Fort Nelson all the way towards Fort St. John included within that and that should start to dissipate towards this evening but we'll still see a slight risk as we look ahead towards tomorrow. For tomorrow though this will be the area of concern for the southern interior risk of thunderstorms and a bit more cloud cover is going to start to inch in along the northern half of the province with a few isolated showers. Now the temperature trend in the coming days warming up this is away from the water but even tomorrow when you factor in the humid x will be feeling closer to 28 potentially up to 29 degrees and it's warm by the end of the week and leading in towards the weekend so we've got hot dry conditions areas in towards Kelowna for the interior will be into the low 30s a reminder with no significant precipitation we've got the fire danger rating sitting anywhere between moderate to extreme across the central interior even the northern regions of the island and for the interior that'll start to bump up in the coming days so please be very diligent when you're outdoors. Now the northern half of the province will see a bit more cloud cover, a few showers will be in the mix, it'll warm up inland tomorrow, Smithers up to 26 degrees, that instability for the peace tomorrow giving us that slight risk of a thunderstorm and the areas of concern will be for the southern interior and extending into the southeastern corners of the province so the afternoon, early evening, risk of thunderstorms we could see some lightning embedded within that as well. Whistler will bump up to 27 as the high, the northern Northern and western regions of the island for the early morning hours could see more cloud cover, a bit of drizzle, and then it should start to ease off and brighten up towards the day. And most areas across the lower mainland, it's away from the water that will see the heat. A hot one, humid except to 29 degrees. Tuesday onwards, it's still going to be very hot and sunny, away from the water with highs up to 26. Julie? Thank you, Yvonne. One of the world's biggest bands, Nickelback, has completed their induction into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame during a ceremony in Calgary. Woo 
Chad Kroger, Ryan Peake, Mike Kroger and Daniel Adair attended their official plaque ceremony at Studio Bell's National Music Centre. This was the second part of this process after being inducted into the Hall of Fame during the Juno Awards broadcast earlier this year. The band was formed in Alberta back in 1995 and is known for hits like How You Remind Me and Photograph. They are one of the top selling acts of all time and Kroger says the Hall of Fame achievement is finally starting to sink in. Ryan was walking across the parking lot at uh, um, was it Home Depot or something, and he just kind of stopped and went, "We were just inducted into the Canadian Hall of Fame." <laughs> it just has this moment no, of yeah, like, like, just sort of like that's what it you know it's that random moment where it just kind of you know comes rushing in and, and and that's when it starts to sink in. It's ne it's never in the moment, um, so it's it's had time to sink in now and and to see this uh, you know all come to fruition. It's it's absolutely wonderful. Nickelback is performing at the Saddle Dome tonight before continuing their current tour in Vancouver later this week. All right, both of you, who's a fan and will is, is okay to confess? It's me. Yeah, I like their stuff. I can listen to it. Really? I, um, I have to admit, I, it's only the old stuff. I don't know anything that would have come out new, so I'm going to go. Of, I'm kind of the same. I, I'm going to have to browse Spotify, so I can't really, I don't know. I just haven't heard anything new. Awesome. Well, what you got coming up? Well, the young man we're going to talk about uh, wasn't even born when all this stuff was uh, big, but uh, we all heard of Connor Bedard. Uh, he's going to go number one in the draft next year, but or you know next week. But Macklin Celebrini is also from North Van. He's almost a neighbor of Connor Bedard. He could be number one a year from now. Well, profile him coming up in sports. Okay, thanks, Barry. Well, still to come on Global News Hour, Droids of the Deep. We'll tell you about an ocean expedition setting sail next week and what researchers are hoping to gain thanks to technology when we come back. Final preparations are underway for a deep sea expedition setting off this week from Vancouver Island. The University of Victoria is partnering with Ocean Exploration Trust to explore the Northeast Pacific Ocean, departing from Port Alberni in hopes of exploring more about the hidden depths of the ocean. Nagar Mushtahedi reports. I think aside from the ship motion... Deep within the ocean. <laughs> Exploring life under the sea. I'll be sailing as the lead for Ocean Networks Canada on this expedition. An expedition by the University of Victoria's Ocean Networks Canada, launching a three-week exploration of the ocean floor. Using two remotely manned robots, which will live stream their footage online. So we've got... Uh, a cabled observatory at the bottom of the ocean. It's about 850 kilometers long. It's a big loop uh, just off the coast of Vancouver Island. And on this cabled loop, we have power and internet connection. And so we plug in a whole bunch of scientific instruments uh, into this cable and we collect data from these instruments. Cool. That was a great zoom. All that data, meaningful. Used by researchers for a wide variety of topics, from climate change to the origins of life, and also having an immediate impact on a lot of people. Because we do monitor for earthquakes 
We have an earthquake early warning system, and we also monitor for tsunami waves. Like, look at one of those oh. under a microscope there. Oh, wow. A nonprofit based in the U.S., Ocean Exploration Trust, chartering their ship to run this expedition. We're connecting with classrooms all over the world, so really connecting more and more people to the ocean. The sites are located in the Salish Sea and Pacific Ocean off the coast of British Columbia, up to 300 kilometers offshore and three kilometers below the surface. We'll be showing this cable recovery operation. You are going to see a lot um, if you're following this entire expedition, and that's one of the amazing things about Ocean Networks Canada's uh, observatory is it spans really unique ecosystems across the entire Juan de Fuca plates. The mission runs 24 hours a day. The ocean never going to sleep, giving us a chance to see what life is like deep in the ocean. That's 60 meters, 60 meters. Nagar Moshehedi, Global News. Coming up in sports, one to watch. We'll tell you about a young hockey player from the North Shore who could very well be the number one NHL draft pick next year. Stay with us. Head to Rogers Arena for Sam Smith. Don't miss the multi-platinum Grammy Award-winning artist and songwriter as they bring the glory of the tour to Rogers Arena August 22nd. Be there and enjoy an amazing performance with special guest Jesse Reyes. Be there for Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, an electrifying musical that follows the Temptations' extraordinary journey from the streets of Detroit to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event, build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. Well, Barry is back with sports and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a pretty good game for the uh, Whitecaps last That's night. That's right. When, when you finally win one on the road, we're going to talk about it the next day, too, and maybe even a couple days from now because yeah. it was pretty impressive. All right. Thanks, Julie. The uh, Whitecaps, you know, they're just in ninth place in the West, and their win last night in L.A. was their first road victory in Major League Soccer in over a year. But they still feel that they are a team with championship potential this season. Vancouver's 3-2 win over defending champions L.A. AFC was impressive, and the Whitecaps feel there's more where that came from. Ryan Gold led the way last night with a goal and two assists. We showed today that no team in the league is better than us, and we need to have this awareness when we go away at home because, again, uh, we are still ninth, of course, now because we had two, game, we had two games last another team and everything, but we need to... We need to aim for the sky because uh, this team is really good. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, that that was probably our best team performance, um, possibly since since I've been here. That we all came together and um, you know we we went up by a couple of goals twice, and they're a good team. Obviously, they're gonna um, give it everything to to kind of come back into the game and. Um, I don't know how long was left when they scored the second, maybe like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And, um, you know, I think we defended really well against them. So um, it was a great performance from everyone, uh, even the boys who came in, done their part. And um, yeah, just a, a good night all round. I, I told you guys, this year can be special. This team is good and more to come. We need to work. Canadian Premier League action from Winnipeg. Vancouver FC visiting Valor. Vancouver goalkeeper Callum Irving has been great all year. Makes another fantastic save here to keep the game scoreless. But early in the second half, 
Vancouver's James Cameron commits the foul in the box. Penalty awarded to Valor and Diego Gutierrez from the spot. Drills it in and that was the only goal of the match. Valor win 1-0. Vancouver FC currently last place in the league through 12 matches. CFL tonight, Argos and Elks from Edmonton. Elks riding an 18-game home losing streak. Haven't won at home since October 2019. This helps former Lion Luchez Purifoy. Picks off Argo QB Chad Kelly, takes it in for the touchdown, 14-7 Elks. And then Purifoy did this in BC, too. He loves Pennywise, the creepy clown doll from the Stephen King It franchise. But it was a nightmare the rest of the way for the Elks as Kelly eludes the sack and then finds David Unger for the touchdown. And Toronto has poured it on since 43-25 is the latest in the fourth quarter. So it looks like another home loss for Edmonton. Baseball today, Blue Jays wrapping up their series against the doormat Oakland A's. 20 and 59 record for Oakland, worst in Major League Baseball. George Springer, solo shot to lead off the game. That's the 55th time he's done that. Ricky Henderson is the all-time leader at 81, but Springer's now second on the all-time list. Jays haven't broken out offensively a lot this year, but they did today. Santiago Espinal, deep fly over the fielder's head, and that is a ground rule double that scored a pair to make it 7-1. And then Kevin Biggio crashes a three-run homer to right as the Jays route the sad sack A's 12-1. Toronto's 43-36, and right now they are in the final wild card spot in the American League. Final round of the Travelers from Connecticut and New England boy Keegan Bradley had himself a fun day. Eighth hole, this is for par. You know it's your day when this happens. Oh, it's a little victory lap before going in. Bradley had a five-shot lead at that point on 11. Nice tee shot on the short par three. And this one is pretty much perfect. Less than three feet, made that for birdie, extends his lead to six, coasted in from there. He is from Vermont, a proud New Englander, and he says this is like a major for him. Very emotional win with his young family beside. It's Bradley's sixth career victory. Canadian Corey Connors tied ninth, one of 525,000 for ninth place. North Vancouver seems to be the new home of today's hockey phenom. Everyone knows about Connor Bedard. Now we introduce you to Macklin Celebrini, who many feel could be the number one overall pick in the 2024 NHL draft. Celebrini grew up on the North Shore, but has played his hockey in the U.S. the last five years after his family moved there for work. But he's a proud North Vanner and Canadian and will be someone all hockey fans will get to know very well in the next year. As right now, Cheetah zigzags over the Rough Rider neutral zone. Cheetah Celebrini dancing in. Cheetah through the defense. He scores! Macklin Celebrini's actions speak for themselves, or maybe they just leave you speechless. As a 16-year-old, Celebrini lit up the U.S. Hockey League, considered a parallel league to the BCHL. Celebrini fired a league-high 46 goals and 86 points in just 50 games for Chicago, playing against mostly 19- and 20-year-olds. And at the World U18 Championships, Celebrini again showed his incredible skill level for Team Canada. He says he takes pride in his two-way game, but let's face it, fans love it when he thinks offense. When you have the puck on your stick, it's exciting, and um, like just being able to like make the moves and like enter the offensive zone and just kind of be creative and make plays, like that's obviously the most fun part of the game. 
He's been so dynamic, Macklin is being touted as the possible number one overall pick in the 2024 NHL draft. That would make it two North Shore boys going number one in successive years after the Chicago Blackhawks take Connor Bedard with the first pick next week. But this chill teen isn't getting too carried away with the hype just yet. I can't try to stay away from that stuff just because it's just like as, until it happens it's nothing's for sure and you don't you don't really know. If the name Celebrini sounds familiar it's because Macklin's dad Rick is one of pro sports leading physiotherapists. He spent time with the Whitecaps and Canucks in the mid-2000s and he's been the Golden State Warriors director of sports medicine and performance since 2018 getting the likes of Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson back on court after serious injuries. But Rick was a pro athlete, too, with the Vancouver 86ers in the mid-90s. But none of his four kids, including Macklin, play soccer anymore. All four of my kids, I thought at least one of them would be a soccer player, and, and they've all disappointed me. I think the plan failed miserably. But soccer has actually helped Macklin be a better hockey player. It made me see the field, like, so like in soccer, like, you have to have, like, see three steps ahead and, like, that vision. And um, I feel like that helped me for hockey as well, just, like, seeing plays develop and just, like, working more on the mind than, like, anything skill-wise or physically. But Rick has also been helping Macklin rehab a shoulder injury this summer. Macklin needed surgery at the end of last season and could possibly miss the start of his freshman year at Boston wow. University, where he'll play as a 17-year-old in the fall. He's expected to make a full recovery, but for Rick, getting a chance to help his son get healthy is special, but at the same time, stressful. I was actually joking with uh, our coach, Steve Kerr, the other day. He was asking me about Macklin, and, and uh, I said this might be the, the most pressure I've felt. <laughs> I mean, having some, someone like that just handle the rehab and deal with all that, it's, I mean, it's, I, I feel blessed. Down low to Celebrini, scores! A year from now, Macklin just may be the favorite to go number one in the NHL draft. He still has to go out and have a fantastic year on the ice, but the spotlight will be on, and he'll be doing a lot more interviews like this one in the coming months. It just takes time to get used to it and really like feel comfortable in these situations. So, are you there yet? Are you? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling I'm feeling more comfortable every time I do it. But. The most important thing is just to, to make sure he stays a kid right now, that he stays enjoying um, his hockey and, and, and enjoys the process and almost try to uh, buffer him or, or you know, um, protect him to, to whatever extent we can from, from all the, the rest of the, the noise. And Macklin's older brother, Aiden, is a defenseman who played in the AJHL last year. He's expected to be drafted in the later rounds next week in the NHL. He's also got a 10-year-old brother, RJ, who's another brilliant young hockey player, and a 14-year-old sister who excels in tennis. So the Celebrini is quite the family. And like I said, you're going to be hearing a lot about Macklin over the coming year. The hype is going to build, 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 and he should be a star at the World Juniors at Christmas as well. Okay, awesome. Thank right. you, Barry. Well, still to come on the News Hour, calling all pinball wizards, where the game has turned into tough competition when we return. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community.
Basketball players from across the province are in Cedar on Vancouver Island this weekend to compete in a tournament that's a springboard for larger events. As Jay Durant reports in This is BC, the competition is just one sign that pinball still holds a strong place in the hearts of gaming enthusiasts of all ages. The nostalgic sounds from the old arcades that are continuing to make a comeback on Vancouver Island. There's me here in Nanaimo, there's Sean down in Shemanus with Wiffle and Wizards, and then there's uh, multiple locations down in Victoria, so it's definitely growing immensely in the last few years. The Mid-Island Pinball League formed a year and a half ago and hosted its second annual tournament this weekend for players all around BC. It looks like the interest is rapidly growing. Competition is just one component for diehard fans. The hobby of collecting vintage tables can get rather pricey for people seeking out some of the classics. The uh, really enjoyable collectible machines, uh, $4,000, $10,000, $20,000. From the early models that didn't have as many bells and whistles to the latest additions like the Foo Fighters machine. The new modern ones are so fast and there's so much going on and the sounds and the lights. Manufacturers are hoping to draw in younger players. We've got a women's league that we just started up recently here in the Mid-Island. Over the years, pinball has managed to hold varying degrees of popularity. Every so often, world record attempts cause a stir, like the longest playing marathon. Set by a white rock man in 2015 that has since been broken at 48 hours straight. The island tournament is a setup for more down the road this year. If you do really well, you can go to provincials, and if you do really well in provincials, you can go to nationals. An expanding number of contests featuring different generations and growing rivalries no matter what age. People in their 60s, 70s playing and then you'll have a 12-year-old girl who will come play on a new modern machine. She'll know every one of the shots and just crush you. Jay Durant, Global News. Now, if you know someone who has a great BC story to tell, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Oh man, I love pinball. Me too. Yeah. My, although my best move was tilting the machine in anger after the ball would go down. <laughs> tilt. Then you couldn't get a match, so you got to watch when you, when you yeah. tilt. Yes. Yeah. Now, one last look at the weather. Uh, we've got lots of sunballs in the forecast. Oh, it's warming boy. up in the next few days. Uh, even tomorrow, away from the water, humidex up to 29. Stay hydrated and grab the sunscreen too. All right. Thanks for being with us. See you at 11.